Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. How do you know that you are right for a role in sales? What are the key characteristics or personality traits that someone needs to be successful in sales? Well, I had the opportunity to sit down with Stephanie Valenti, where she shared her journey from the restaurant business to sales, to sales leadership, and then to her current chief operating officer role. Stephanie shared her tips for building a winning team and keeping them motivated, aligned, and engaged. She also shares her lessons learned from working at a small startup and having to build everything from scratch and how operations plays a key role in helping the revenue team be successful. As a working mom myself, I learned that Stephanie is also a working mom of three, and we talked about the challenges of trying to find harmony between home, family, and career, and offered some practical tips to help navigate. So please take a listen, and you'll probably be surprised to hear about some of the odd jobs that Stephanie had early in her career. Well, super excited to be here today with Stephanie Valenti, currently the Chief Operating Officer at Loftwall, as well as an executive member and co-chapter head at the Revenue Collective and founding member of the Operations Collective. Loftwall is the industry-leading mobile room divider and private partition company, but they make more than room dividers and privacy partitions. They make space work better. Whether it's in the office, at school, or at home, Loftwall's mission is to create innovative and intuitive solutions for these environments where folks can do their best work. Welcome, Stephanie, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here today. Thank you. So when thinking about the Revenue Engine podcast, I really wanted to not only feature leaders who have experience in driving revenue, but leaders who are making a difference elsewhere, right? And have an interesting story to share that can really help others. So I'm super excited to share your story and learn more about your journey. Thank you very much. So let's go ahead and let's talk a little bit about the journey that actually led you into sales in the first place. So from what you've shared with me, you actually started out in the restaurant business. So can you share maybe a little bit about your journey, you know, some of the key milestones that actually led you into a role in sales? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, my my journey started out a little bit more um, interesting than I'd say most of the people that I've met out there as peers. Um, I uh, originally, you know, growing up wanted to be a doctor, right? So big, audacious goals and um, decided at the age of 19 in between um, high school and college that having a baby was a better idea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, life threw me a curveball. And, and so, um, you know, I decided school was still super important to me. And so, but I had to take a different turn, right? Like going away and, and jumping right into um, the goal and audacious goal of being a doctor kind of went by the wayside. And so um, I went to school and worked three jobs. And, you know, those jobs included restaurant. 
background for sure, um, as well as, you know, working at a doctor's office and um, and then even being a karaoke DJ at night. Oh. So no joke. Amazing. Um, yeah, it was fun, right? But um, really hard work. And, yeah. and so, you know, I think one of the things that really stood out during that journey and that time is every job that I had, no matter what, I was always looking to perfect and go to the next thing. So like when I think about um, restaurant, for example, you know, I came in, I was a server, I wanted to be lead server, then I wanted to bartend, then I wanted to go ahead and get into a management role. And then after a management role, I wanted to be on um, the corporate team and I did some corporate recruiting. And, and really it was the same trend um, that happened at the medical offices as well, right? Start at the front, then coding, then x-ray. And so I always wanted to keep getting more experience and perfecting what I was doing. And, you know, I was talking to somebody and it was a mentor and I just said, you know, I feel like I had gotten to that, um, you know, general manager uh, position and I was 25 years old and I um, was like, I just don't know what I'm going to do next. Like I'm 25. And someone looked at me and is like, you've just gotten to get into sales. <laughs> like you have to, like, you've got too much drive. You've got all this personality. You move super, super fast. Like, go explore sales. And right. so that was a really just pivotal point um, in my career journey that just exposed like, oh, I might have this trait or this bug um, for this sales industry thing. That's amazing. I didn't know about the karaoke DJ thing. I definitely <laughs> need to see some of that in action. That's amazing. I love yeah. that. So you touched on this a little bit, but you know, what are some of the characteristics or, you know, personality traits that you think have really helped you to be, I guess, successful in sales? You know, I think some of it drove you into the field and a natural fit. But what are some of the things that you think have really helped you be successful? Yeah, you know, I think the first thing is you heard it, right? Like had a baby early, worked all those jobs. Um, I, I gained grit really early. And I don't think grit is something that you're born with or grit is something that's easily displayed. It's just something that you gain because of an experience, yeah. right, that you have gone through. And so I think that that's definitely helped me throughout my um, career and, and be a successful salesperson, sales leader. Uh, I would say positive attitude, mm -hmm. right? So when you go through things that are more challenging, you learn to appreciate um, and have a positive outlook on things that are a little bit more simplistic or um, less threatening, right? And so um, I think my positive attitude has definitely helped me throughout my career. I'll also say, you know, one of the things I look for in salespeople, but also I think is something that I um, would, I'd say that I am strong in is just wanting to be super coachable. Right. Like I want to learn. I want to grow. I want feedback, even the hard stuff, even the stuff that could bring tears to your eyes. Right. But I want that feedback. And I have had some unbelievable coaches throughout my career that did give me hard, no nonsense feedback. Um, some I believed some was was, you know, maybe not so much, but but you apply what you need to. And, and just that always learning um, mentality has definitely helped me as well. I love that. Yeah, I love that always learning and just being coachable because I think a lot of times, you know, no matter how many years experience you have or how many times you've done something, there's always ways to 
you know, do things better, do things more efficiently, more effectively, and just continue to learn and always be challenged. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about the sales teams, because you talked a little bit about kind of what you were looking for in a team. You know, you've had a unique opportunity to really build a sales team from scratch, right? Building winning teams is really tough, especially in sales, right? Not only because it's, it's really hard to find the right talent, but keeping those teams motivated, aligned, and enabled, you know, certainly isn't easy. So what have you found, you know, how have you been successful, I guess, in finding the right talent, you know, to build a winning team, but also how do you keep that team engaged and enable them to be successful? Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the tips I learned really, really early on is to always be interviewing. Um, you know, I, I for a while and early on in my career, you know, if I didn't have any spots open, I, I would not be searching. I would not be interviewing others until that open requisition was open. And I learned pretty quickly that you always need to look for top talent, whether you're hiring or not, right? Go on a ledge and ask permission um, to go one over if you have somebody that's, you know, maybe on their way out. And so um, I stand true to that today. Just always, always be looking um, for great candidates um, and then keeping your pipeline strong. Um, I'd say secondly, you know, when I'm interviewing and I'm looking at talent and they're coming in the door, you know, I'm looking for things that you can't teach. I think experience is important, it, especially as you start to grow up of that um, that leadership, you know, um, uh, staircase, right? But in the beginning, when you are hiring talent for that SDR type role or that entry level inbound sales role, um, I am looking for a lot of the things that I told you I felt like made me successful, right? That that drive, that want to succeed and learn, um, that desire to to just get after it and, and achieve goals. And so um, in addition, I think positive attitude is something that I talked about with myself, but I definitely look for through a lot of different um, interview type questions. Um, and then work ethic, right? Like mm -hmm. I've never seen a salesperson be really successful if they're not willing to put in the work. And so those are things that I, that I really look for is those just key and natural things. You can't teach people those things. They just have them. And so those things are important. I would also say as you, you start to look for um, sales leaders and, um, you know, that art side of the business um, where, you know, you're teaching uh, cadence and, and um, ability to close, like, are they ability to have hard conversations and are they comfortable with hard conversations? And those are a lot of the things that I um, start to look for in the interview process as well. That's great. What about when you actually have the team on board? What are some of the things that you've found to be really successful in, you know, keeping the team motivated, keeping them engaged? Yeah, so I am a 100% a people first, a first approach to anything and everything that I do. And so if I think about a playbook for any type of leadership role, but specifically sales, uh, it's a lot of, of time spent, mm -hmm. right? And investment. Um, I, I look at the weekly one-on-ones. Um, I look at team weekly meetings. I like to get to know the person as a person, understand their background, what made 
made them get into sales in the first place, especially if you're acquiring a, a team. And then, and then what they want to do, right? Like mm -hmm. this is just a job to them. And so, how can you help them get to the next step in their career or gain a new skill set and perform in their current role? One of the best, um, you know, practices I found, especially at that sales management level um, for one-on-ones, is to truly start dividing your one-on-ones out in a bi-weekly cadence to your one one-on-one -on -one is performance-based, right? Mm -hmm. So you're talking about that scorecard, you're talking about metrics, you're talking about deals, you're you're getting into the nitty-gritty, the stuff that's required of a sales manager. Whereas that following week is really professional development and and key just people development and relationship building. And so that's something that I found really works, but is a best practice that I would, you know, um, advise or, or encourage people to give a try at their if they're at that sales management level today. Got it. I love that. Yeah, I think that's so important, right? You touched on, you know, just getting to know them as a person, right? What drives them? What 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 are their what things they really value? Like, why did they get into sales in the first place? So, and kind of where they want to go. That's great. Sure. I love that. Um, so you were the senior VP of sales at Veridesk when the company is really small, right? Around 150 employees. And I remember that yeah. you with me that this is the role where you probably had the greatest challenges, but also the greatest impact and also where you learned the most. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, that journey, you know, some of those challenges and maybe accomplishments or maybe some of those lessons learned? Yeah, yeah. So um, you are right. I came into Veridesk when we were just about 150 people. Uh, the sales organization at the time was a about 40, right? It had um, inbound people who were answering a phone um, to client demand. And really, Veridesk at the time was the company that had the desk that went on top of a desk, right? Mm -hmm. So um, sat on top of the table. And so there was all of this crazy demand. Um, and I was brought in and tasked with really creating a B2B out of uh, organization out of a marketing run organization um, where, you know, I, I always say when I got there, it was marketing was responsible for revenue generation um, and really um, just all like revenue in general. <laughs> and sales was just a facilitator. Answer the phone, place the order, get off. Okay. Um, it was more call center mentality. And so I think the most exciting thing um, and the biggest impact uh, that I had the opportunity to have is really bring all of my B2B um, expertise and background into a company that didn't understand B2B, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, you know, had the opportunity to come in and year one, we grew um, the staff and created segmentations from in an inside sales standpoint at this time from business development for the first time, um, books of business based on enterprise and different segmentations, federal government, state, local education. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, additional headcount growth goals. Um, you know, you had utilization of a CRM for the first time, which was really an ERP, but it was makeshift. Right. <laughs> It didn't have a lot of tools. Like it was really having that opportunity to craft everything from scratch and and really just sit up in my and I was in a hotel room because I relocated um, <laughs> sit up in my hotel room until two o'clock in the morning every day, taking all of this information and just building and building in the background so that during the day, I could have individual one-on-ones with every single person in the org, hiring decisions for every single person, elevating people into management roles. It was an absolute whirlwind. So, you know, I'd say at the end of year one, we truly, um, 
equaled the uh, revenue responsibility. So although marketing was still bringing in quite a bit of inbound um, interest, we also on the other side, sales began to be not just the generator, um, not just the facilitator, but the generator, mm-hmm. right? And yep. so, um, it really was kind of an equal playing field. Um, I also had the opportunity to, to institute a sales process for the first time, right? So for everything from, from metrics to accountability to, um, you know, implementing, a, a sales methodology to um, how do we track quotas to building comp plans, like you name it. Um, I, I had the opportunity to do it all. Wow. And then as I think like, you know, Veritas changed a ton, right? So they went from heavy e-com to B2B, but still very product centric to solution selling. And so in year two, it was an entire new strategy. Again, they were getting into project business. We needed outside sales and field sales. We needed to deploy locations across the country. And so um, we implemented Salesforce. I won the the <laughs> battle of a real CRM. And so, um, you know, we, we did that. And and so it was tons of every year reorg, restructure, additional implementations of processes, and then you go again and you run and then you do it again. And so people always say like, hey, Steph, do you have startup experience? And I say, well, not on paper, but kind of. Right. Oh, yeah. Because- <laughs> that's all startup. Everything you're saying, that's completely as startup as you can get. <laughs> yeah. Because so the weird thing, though, is they're like, okay, well, you know, how much was the company worth when you came on? And I'm like, (laughs) hundreds of millions, right? It was hundreds of millions of product interest. And what was it when I left? Well, it was hundreds of millions, right? So, but it was the shift and it was the constant shift. And it was just, it was, um, it was remarkable in that I had the opportunity to learn anything and everything I could ever need to know in building a B2B sales organization. Um, I, I think on the flip side of that, you asked me, you know, what was challenging? And I'll say, um, I definitely felt all alone, right? Mm-hmm. For the first time. Um, I, as I mentioned in the very beginning, there was no one else in the organization at the time that um, had B2B experience, right? And so, although my job as an executive leader was to educate, um, it became challenging at times, right? Like, if if no one else knows um, where you're coming from, from your point of view, um, it can become um, challenging and frustrating to continually have to kind of fight that battle on your own. Um, I'll also say I was a first-time executive, um, and I didn't have a revenue collective like I did today. So I didn't have a lot of people to talk to. Um, I didn't know a lot of other VPs. I didn't have a lot of mentors where I felt like I could get guidance um, from. And so it was a lot of trial and error. Um, And I would say the other really difficult thing, if I look back, like what could have made me um, all that more successful, confident, um, it would have been really understanding and having the ability to, um, and you're going to love this, but to sell um, that that revenue operations role. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tried and I don't think that I had 
truly enough understanding to get the words out correctly um, to be able to tell the value of that. And so it continued to get put in technology or finance. And I I had to do that on my own and lead the um, organization, which when I left was 180 salespeople with two VPs right? And, and it was three VPs, actually. And so it was a lot, but I was doing that revenue operations side um, on my own, which really is a full-time gig, right? right. Especially if you want to turn right. right. So I would say, you know, those were my challenges. Um, and then, and then I, you know, I'll say cherry on the top is I feel very confident in this now, but sitting at an executive table, um, you know, for the first time, as a people-focused leader, as a first-time leader at that level, um, responsible for that much headcount, I really um, learned a ton about how you need to tell your story in a different way, um, depending on the individual executive leader and how they need to hear it. And that was an interesting, um, an, an, an interesting on-site education for me. <laughs> Wow. Wow. I can't even imagine. That's like a lifetime of experience in one role, right? I mean, yeah. really, it really is. I mean, you touched on all, so many different areas of the revenue process, so much building, so much communication, just, uh, it's amazing. I mean, I hear it and I'm like, oh, that's so startup. <laughs> I feel so scrappy yeah. building from scratch. I mean, literally that is building from scratch. I love that. Um, so I want to touch on the operations piece a little bit, and then I want to talk about Loftwall specifically. But, you know, as you know, and you touched on this a little bit, you know, I've been on my soapbox, right, promoting revenue operations, yeah. talking about the function, the people. And and I always think of RevOps as sort of that powerful secret weapon, right, for the revenue team. So, you know, having been a revenue leader now, as well as now being a COO, and you touched on this a little bit, but what are your thoughts on, you know, how an organization can really best leverage the operations function to help enable and optimize the revenue team? Like, are there things, you know, having your experience at Veridesk and coming into Loftwall, are there some, you know, any kind of those must do's or absolutely don't do that you've brought to Loftwall? Yeah, I, um, Loftwell's a little bit different, right? So I'm running a manufacturing facility. And, and so when I think about, um, operations, it, initially I, I went back to my silo thoughts, right? I went back to like, I'm responsible for anything after the sale and we are going to execute, um, operational excellence in my bubble. And hey, sales and hey, marketing, bring in the money and I'll make it happen on the back end. And after being here for a couple of months, you know, those like blinders came off and I finally settled into my role. And I thought to myself, like, what a, what a foolish statement, like what a foolish blinder, right. To have on when I can help so much more on the front end from operational efficiency. And so I think, you know, to answer your question, the number one no-no is, Hey, everyone's responsible for everything. Right. And if operations is phenomenal at, you know, process oriented thinking and building in efficiencies, why wouldn't we do that for the sales team? Why wouldn't we do that in, for the marketing team? Why wouldn't we look in and analyze like what the current methodologies for lead generation are if we, if we have the brain to think that way. Right. And so 
um, that's the that's the number one first thing that I wanted to make sure that that I um, that I brought on is that we are responsible for everything, and we even did a core value flip this year. And um, one of those core value flips was we win together and lose together. And I think a big piece of that is that operational like let let operations into your business. They definitely can help, right? right. So um, I think that's a big one. I, I would also say um, if I think back more to you know Verdas which is now very, I, um, you know, I talked about this, but like if, if we would have truly had more um, operational influence into the sales organization early on, I can see nothing but additional revenue growth that would have come from that. And so if at the end of the day, you know, profitability is what's important to an organization and revenue and top line growth, um, and you know, operations can help make that, um, help your sales organization or your revenue organization more efficient, there's no, there's no harm or foul putting that in. Even to the point where I had said, I will give up um, two um, of my plant manufacturing heads for us to bring in a um, a revenue operations head, even as small of an organization that I'm in today, um, because I know that it would make up for the efficiencies that I need out in the plant. It's amazing. I love that. Love that. Um, definitely. So let's talk a little bit more about Loftwall, right? Because they're, they're sort of in an interesting space, right? I mean, when we look at, you know, when we first started recording, we talked a little bit about, you know, the current situation and how now we're in 2021 and and all of the things that have sort of transpired over the last maybe 14, 15 months. But I mean, we've all been impacted by covid you know, in the global pandemic, right? Both from a business perspective, as well as from a personal perspective. But Loftwell is sort of an interesting space, right? Given the changes in remote working, but also as folks start to return to the office, right? With different requirements now and perspectives of sort of how we work together in, in a common space. Like how has the, how has the pandemic impacted your business? And are there any lessons learned there or maybe things the company is now doing a little bit differently in their approach to acquiring or maintaining revenue? Absolutely. So it has been a whirlwind. And so if we think about like just the history of Loftwall, um, they've been around for 12 years. They, uh, for about 10 of those 12 years, were really a lifestyle business. The founder had had an architectural and design and product design background. And they did well, right? They were really small, you know, they, they, um, but they were happy to maintain. They didn't necessarily want to grow. Um, they were just good at being a small business. And they, uh, two years ago, had brought on um, the CEO, who is the CEO today. And he is very growth-minded and had a passion for growth and innovation and brand. And so came onto the organization and first year was good, Right. And then second year pandemic happened <laughs> and second year pandemic, um, you know, the first month, January, everyone was really, um, you know, 2020 was starting to hear about this thing. And, and so Q1 started off really weird um, and, and quite slow for the organization. Um, and then we started getting word, you know, towards the end of Q1, like, hey, this is a thing. The country is shut down. And the one thing I can say for our CEO is A, super crazy fast. Mm -hmm. and, and B, just really likes to think outside the box and is really an, an unbelievable marketer. And so 
he said, you know what, we make privacy and and um, that's what we do. And we're not going to go outside of our privacy, but we are going to serve the community and the products that we get out there into the marketplace for things that people need. And so, so that's what he did, right? He went out there and he created like, I think it was like, 15 new products or something overnight. Wow. Probably put a crazy strain on operations. I was not here at that time. Um, but but you know what? It worked. And so what had happened is this small, you know, five to seven million dollar company overnight became a company that was on track to do 400% growth. Wow. And so what happens when that happens so fast and is unprecedented is you throw people at problems, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and so that is 100% what I walked into. And so, you know, I had come in in August um, of, of during the pandemic and I walked in and we had, you know, 80 people in the plant, um, you know, 50, at least 50%, if not more were, um, were all temporary employees. So no alignment to core values or skill set or training involved, right? We had tons of people in the office from all different sorts of roles. Yet again, no process, not a lot of training and, and no fault to any existing leaders. But when you're at 400% growth, your goal is to get the order out the right, door. Right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like that's it. And so, um, you know, the, um, the reason that Bryce brought me in was to really come in and help, you know, elevate the organization from, um, structure process, um, uh, health, right. Um, and strategy. And so um, that's what I've had the opportunity to do. And so if we look at um, fast forward from August to December, um, that that staff of, I think we were about 130, um, we were able to now in the plant do the same amount of business um, with a plant staff of 30 um, and a total staff of 50. And that is all from simply implementing enhanced processes, um, making sure that we're hiring to core values, um, being able to put an organizational structure that makes sense, um, doing strategic meetings and focusing on organizational health. And so, you know, really across the board was all about um, taking this business and, and you know, continuing to be able to sustain growth with um, with more like just aligned processes and not people, right? Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, I love that. So let's, um, so thank you for sharing that. I think that's, that's very helpful. And I think we'll give a, definitely a lens to some of our listeners. Um, so let's switch to a completely different topic right? One that is near and dear to my heart, and it's not RevOps. One of the topics, you know, you and I were chatting a little bit about is, you know, one of the things that I get asked probably, you know, almost as often as around revenue operations is related to, you know, being a working mom and the challenges of juggling home and family and career. And as you know, you know, I've been a working mom now for 25 years, and it sounds like you've been for 20 years as well. So, you know, but I still haven't necessarily found, you know, that silver bullet, right, that solves all of the challenges of really trying to find harmony between all of the different pieces. 
So as mm -hmm. a as a working mom yourself, like do you have any tips for other women, you know, who are trying to find that balance between work and family and you know sort of what has worked, you know, maybe well for you? Yeah, I I'll I think I'll, you know, mimic your statement up front like I don't have the silver bullet <laughs> either. Um there are times when I, I refer to it like as a seesaw, right? Yeah. Where one side of the seesaw is my family and my children and my personal life and even even personal health. Um, and, and the other side is work and I can feel when it gets out of whack. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the best practices that I've, I've taken is on a weekly basis, every Sunday, I have it on my calendar. Um, I will sit and I'll do just a self-reflection of, you know, what was my seesaw looking like this week? Like, did I give my kids and my husband and myself, um, the time that I deserve or was my seesaw all work? And so, um, I think, you know, what I've started to realize is um, it is sometimes it goes all work. Um, what it rarely goes is all family. Um, very, very um, often the seesaw doesn't turn on the other, um, go the other way, right? Um, and so that's something to think about. Like that's something to reflect on. Um, I, I, I would say that Sunday thing is a great best practice. I, I would also say is I really look at that work life. People say balance. I like the integration word a little bit better. Um, you know, my my youngest is the one that I feel is oftentimes the most impacted because my others are a little bit older. Um, and so if there are times like I'm working from home or um, I have to take a call on a weekend or I need to work on a project, I set her up next to me on the desk, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of do it together. And I show her that it's okay to be a, you know, a strong woman that works hard and that um, is successful. And I let her ask me questions about what I'm doing. And I make sure I put the hat on that it's okay to be interrupted. And I'm teaching her at the same time that I'm getting this work done. And yeah, it might take three times longer. <laughs> right. um, because she's going to interrupt me and it's going to drive me a little bit crazy, but I'm going to put my patience hat on. Yep. <laughs> and so I, I would say that's the other thing is I haven't found a bullet. I do, I do like the integration piece and a lot of self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think the balance is sort of a myth. Um, I don't think that there yeah. is a real balance, but I like integration, you know, the harmony because just trying to keep mm -hmm. things, you know, sort of in harmony and in sync. Um, but yeah, definitely don't know that there is any necessary balance, but I do like the self-reflection piece. Um, the other question I guess I have for you is, you know, being a woman at, in a C-level, you know, executive role, like what advice do you have, you know, for other women who are looking to elevate their career and, you know, just continue to move up the ladder? Yeah, you know, um, I, I've always been a huge believer in taking risks mm -hmm. and um, that's been throughout my entire life, my career. I think it's naturally who I am. And I understand that it's not naturally who everybody is. Right. 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 And so, um, you know, I, I once struggled um, in, during my time in the executive role at Very, um, let some of my confidence um, slide a little. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I, I was standing at the table and I, I had a big presentation to do. And, and um, you know, I thought to my Myself, and I actually got this advice from the CFO um, at, at Veridesk. He had said to me, Steph, like at the end of the day, if you can live with the worst thing that could happen, um, then why wouldn't you do it? And so 
to me, it always stuck with me. So I'll think like, okay, if I'm, am I going to raise my hand and apply for this job? Am I going to, you know, come up with an idea and present it to a board? Am I going to, um, you know, raise my hand in the middle of a meeting going only being the only female there? And I think to myself, what's the worst thing that could happen? Would they laugh at me? Eh, maybe. Can I live with that? Am I going to die? No, I'll be fine. <laughs> right. Or, or am I going to get rejected? Maybe. Um, what's the worst thing that can happen? I have a bad day. Eh, I can live with one bad day for the opportunity for, uh, you know, possible growth. And, and so anytime I, I am fearful or I lose confidence or I, um, you know, I second guess myself in, in a growth direction, that's the question that I, I propose. Um, and it is, it has helped me a ton. So, my number one thing then, if we go back to it, is just take a risk. You don't have to know everything. Um, I'm I'm an uh, was a member of and a thought leader and mentor of Girls Club, which is another group um, that um, is pretty popular out there that just promotes like females in sales and really getting them to raise their hand. Mm -hmm. And a big piece of what they talk about all the time is just that resume, um, right? Where or that job description, where if like men will apply if they have 50% mm -hmm. of the requirements where <laughs> women will only do it if they have all of them. Right. And so that's just goes back to that risk taking, like just do it, like yep. just raise your hand and do it. If you can live with the worst, uh, the worst outcome. Yep. I love that. And I think I'm kind of more in your camp as well. It's more of a risk taker. I think, you know, when I, I've read a lot of those studies too, that talk about the job description and it was really sort of eye opening for me the first time I read it, because I think about a lot of the jobs that I've taken there are jobs that, you know, I don't know everything about the job, right? And that's why it's interesting to me is because there's an opportunity for growth, right? Why would I take a job where all I'm going to do is do what I do today, right? Yes. So I, I think I kind of my perspective is a little bit different um, just around because, you know, as we were talking about, just always looking for something to challenge yourself, right? And take that risk. And I do that as well sometimes right before, you know, maybe it's an event or a webinar or something that I'm hosting. I take a couple mm -hmm. deep breaths and just, you know, just go for it. Just do it. You know, it's not that you don't have fear or you might not be nervous, but, you know, you just have to, it's just how you deal with it. So I love that. Absolutely. I love Absolutely. that. So, you know, as I think about the revenue engine and this podcast, you know, obviously I hope that others will be able to learn, you know, something about how to accelerate revenue growth and really power the revenue engine. So, I mean, you have done so many things, you know, we've covered some of them, but I think there's, there's so many accomplishments um, that you've achieved already in your career, but are there things that, you know, maybe that there's something that you wish you knew earlier or maybe something that you might do differently? if you had to do it all over again? Um, yes, I would um, 100% become far more versed in uh, storytelling in data. Mm. Um, that is something that I, like, if, even if I think about education, like I always think back of, hey, I'm amazing in communications and English and that side of the brain, um, but math, eh, not so much, <laughs> right? And and I just kind of like put that label on and was fine with it. And then I got to the opportunity where, um, where I shared like I was revenue operations and I was head of sales 
all in one. And and that would have been really useful if I could talk to that CFO in his language. So um, that's something I encourage all sales leaders, like don't just rely on the people around you to truly understand financial data, like get well-versed. And so um, I'd say, you know, the other piece is if I could do it all over again, um, I would um, have looked for a community um, a lot earlier. And so, um, you know, I have that now with with Revenue Collective, but man, it's really nice when you have people to talk about your specific problems with mm-hmm. um, are going through like problems. And so um, I, I would also just anyone that's going to be in any type of VP role within an organization um, in, on the revenue or operations operation side, like there's, and it doesn't matter what group, um, but you've got to be part of a community because you, you do get quite lonely at times. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Um, so thank you so much um, for joining me, Stephanie. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always love to ask two things. So one, what is the one thing about Stephanie that others would be really surprised to learn? I mean, the karaoke DJing already surprised me, but is there something else? And then two, you know, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? Oh, surprised. So, um, geez, I would say I, um, I'm totally all about trying something new and very spontaneous. And so, um, you know, throughout my life, like I have a... I have a list of things that I want to try and do throughout my life and it keeps it keeps growing. So um, if anyone has like really crazy obscure things, please tell me because I'd love to add them to my list. Um, I, I would say, you know, the one thing I want everybody to know, um, uh, you probably can tell in this um, podcast, but I am exceptionally um, high energy. And I think in an organization, like your energy is infectious, mm-hmm. no matter what you do, if you're a leader. And so um, own who you are. And, um, you know, I, I think authenticity and humility and um, being oneself is just so incredibly important. And so um, I was like, that with you guys today. And um, I would just encourage everybody to continue to be like that as we grow um, in, you know, corporate culture, it's becoming more and more acceptable to not put your business hat on and simply be you. Um, And so that's probably something that I would feel comfortable sharing. Are excited to share. I love that. Yep. I love that. Definitely. Um, so thank you again for joining me, Stephanie. It was such a pleasure, right, to chat with you. I'm just, I'm so incredibly grateful for your time and for sharing your story and perspective with us. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.